Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Get Connected with Nina Del Rio, a weekly conversation about fitness, health, and happenings in our community on 106.7 Light FM. Good morning and thanks for listening to Get Connected. If being successful and being proud of where you live means leaving the place where you're from, here's a path to rethinking the status quo in your hometown. In her new book, Reclaiming Your Community, You Don't Have to Move Out of Your Neighborhood to Live in a Better One, Majora Carter offers up ways to rethink the future of our hometowns. Majora, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Majora Carter is a real estate developer, urban revitalization strategy consultant, MacArthur Fellow, and Peabody Award-winning broadcaster. Reclaiming your neighborhood, I think for some people, the first thought might be gentrification. What does reclaiming mean? Who is it from and what are you doing? Oh, reclaiming is the exact opposite of gentrification. Reclaiming here means that we don't measure success by how far we get away from our own communities and that we're retaining the talent that's there in order to improve our own surroundings and our own economic future. The idea of leaving where you're from to become a success, it's everywhere, right? You go away to college, all these things. You look forward to just leaving and being someplace else. So many New Yorkers actually left where they were from to come here. How do communities contribute to their own brain drain by encouraging that? Yeah, everyone enjoys that Cinderella story, you know, that uh, folks that emerge from communities, um, but there's very little done to retain that talent. As a matter of fact, we're led to believe that you measure success by how far you get away. Um, but we applied this approach you know, from the business world um, that, that you want to keep your top performers close. And that's the talent retention as a community development strategy. And you do that by you know, recognizing where they spend their money now and then building that lifestyle infrastructure in their own communities so that people will want to reinvest you know, um, financially, literally spend their own money in the communities where we're from. And then also um, you know, it provides a really beautiful example to other folks you know, that there actually really is something to look forward to in our own communities. You know, I'm not an expert on the South Bronx, which is where you're from and where a lot of this book sort of comes from, the, st- the story, your story. But as someone who speaks with nonprofits often, there are numerous nonprofits doing substantial work in the South Bronx. And I'm also always struck about how even if they help people or they help individual families, the root causes never seem to disappear. Mm-hmm. People are used to the status yeah. quo. Right, exactly. I mean, billions of philanthropic and government dollars, you know, go into certain neighborhoods, yet they remain economically stagnant. And, um, you know, and poverty, it's not a cultural attribute, but there's plenty of money to be made by maintaining it. You know, for example, by concentrating government subsidized affordable rental housing, which a lot of folks advocate for, you know, also even community centers and health clinics and pharmacies, you know, to, 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 to take care of the folks that are, that are challenged by a lot of health, health issues such as diabetes and obesity. Again, billions of dollars are made by keeping that status quo. And I feel that we're not recognizing that 
the fact that we could create opportunities for people in our own community to be a part of the economic, you know, regeneration of our own neighborhoods is something that just we because we're so used to just expecting that poverty is a cultural attribute. It's actually part of neighborhood preservation. You know, main, you know, people are never going to be anything but. So we just need to make it a little easier for them, and we challenge that notion. You know, by creating the type of in lifestyle infrastructure that we know people are leaving our communities to experience and that or to keep them here so that we can be a part of our own regeneration and redevelopment. One of the specific examples you bring up is really interesting to me, the way that people are preyed on through real estate brokers. Can you talk about those quick cash for your home oh. deals and real estate liquidation? Sure. I mean, that kind of stuff happens all over the country where, and you'll see it. It's like, you know, um, fast cash for your house. Um, you know, people will call up folks and just say, I'll offer you, you know, money for your house and you could close in a week. But essentially that is just the, their, what those folks are literally banking on, you know, is that we don't know the value of our own community. And thus, you know, we'll, some of us will get that call and be like, wait, you, somebody wants to buy a house like this in, in this neighborhood? Oh, please, they must not know what they're getting into. Believe me, they know what they're getting into, <laughs> which is, you know, like an understanding of the real estate market and what that does for their own wealth creation and generation and generational wealth. And we, you know, especially in American low status communities, we're led to believe that our communities don't have any value. And so it's when outsiders come in and make it suit their interests, which is sort of like the typical path to um, generation um, gentrification and displacement, it makes us feel like, wait, what just happened? And it's just like, they're taking advantage of the, the real estate market in ways that we've been led to believe that there's no value in our own communities while we're in them. And so we're challenging that notion and really expecting people to understand when given an opportunity to see so, see this, that there's something that they can do to protect and preserve their own communities. Majora Carter has firsthand experience pioneering sustainable economic development in her own hometown, the South Bronx, and her book is Reclaiming Your Community. You don't have to move out of your neighborhood to live in a better one. You're listening to Get Connected on 106.7 Light FM. I'm Nina Del Rio. And I wonder if we can talk a little bit about your story. So I know there are some difficult parts, but mm -hmm. as a child, you dreamed of leaving the South Bronx too. Yes. You know, and I regret believing that popular narrative um, that there was something inherently wrong, you know, with the community that I grew up in. And that is one of the reasons why I wrote this book, because I know that others people feel the same way. And I want folks to know that we do you know, have the keys to our own economic recovery and that we can make a difference in our own community if we recognize that we can support and the talent that's in here that to do something great in it. Even for you, though, you didn't really start thinking about it till you were about 30, if I'm oh, yeah. correct in the book. Yeah. Yes, yes. That is true. Where did that transformation come? It had something to do with the riverfront? Yeah, I mean, it only happened because I had to move back home in, when I was close to 30 and, um, you know, because I needed a cheap place to stay when I went to graduate school. And it was then that I, it was mommy and daddy's house. <laughs> and then I discovered that um, our city and state were planning on building a huge waste facility on our waterfront. And, and I realized that it only happened because we were a very poor community of color. We already handled an enormous amount of the city's waste at the time. And, and I realized, you know, no one would blame me if I just, you know, kept on my path and like doing my thing. Um, but instead I was like, I wanna be a part of like, how do we change and support our own community. And so it started with like, you know, transforming dumps into parks and, you know, and really changing the narrative of what we saw in our neighborhood and then moving into real estate development because that was the next way we needed to go. 
on a practical level, because we're going to talk about some practical steps in a moment, but on a practical level, how difficult or challenging was it to get people involved in what became the Bronx River Working Group? And then later you actually were protested. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, people, you know, especially in, in communities like ours where we've been, you know, led to believe that, you know, there's, this is always the way that it is. Sometimes change is hard. Like initially, you know, even for, like to start with the with the waterfront park. I mean, people were like, "Well, there's I mean, we've got educational issues. You know, we've got rent issues. We've got all sorts of things. You know, what are you doing focusing on like a park, trying to build a park?" And it was like because we need we need a different story that we can tell ourselves with the community and how our community looks and feels around us. And so fortunately they didn't, you know, I hurt too much in that regard. They were like, fine, you do your thing, honey. And, <laughs> but what was really great was when, you know, I realized that it was more of an, also an economic challenge that we were facing. So building the kind of lifestyle infrastructure that people wanted to see in our community, which meant like, you know, cafes that people wanted to hang out in, you know, built, now we're working on event halls. It was more of that so that folks could see themselves like having fun in their own communities. And yes, we were protested, you know, at one point. Um, and, but it was also, I think by folks who just, I think there was so much fear associated, you know, with, a change in the community that maybe didn't include them. And, you know, and, and you, we have to deal with that. I mean, I felt, you know, really emboldened by the fact that there were so many more folks who felt like, no, this is someone saying that our communities deserve great things too, things that speak to me as well, because why should we have to move out of our neighborhood to live in a better one? You know, why is it that, you know, our neighborhoods can't, you know, progress and be great while we're in them? And that was a, was a turning point for me when folks, even after we were protested, you know, we actually gained more support, you know, in the general community because folks felt like, wait a second, like, is, is she doing something wrong here by actually like trying to build some great stuff for us? Um, and really one of the most interesting things to me, I really ironic was that we were hosting, the day we were protested, we were hosting a workshop there for, to get low income and, and excuse me, 0% interest loans into the hands of small business owners and homeowners in our community so they could stay in, in their homes and build businesses here. So the irony of it all was kind of crazy. And what does developing, as you say, third spaces, restaurants, bookstores, doggy daycares, all those things, how do they help people stay in the community? We talked about brain drain. What do they do for long-term survival? Yeah, well, first of all, if you have a community that meets your both your needs and your aspirations, you're going to want to stay and invest in it. If it doesn't, then you are opening up that community to being very vulnerable to um, predatory speculators and other folks deciding like what's best for it, which generally will not support the people in those communities. So if you have those things that you want and need, then you're more likely to feel empowered and supportive you know, empowered by it and supportive of it. And it's, I think, you know, economically empowered people, you know, are harder to push around, period. So when we feel like there's something to like be supportive of in our own communities, we will treat it accordingly. If we don't, then we'll just go move someplace else. And I think that degrades the entire, the social fabric of all of America, not just the communities that are struggling with that. And the base of that, I think a lot of that is housing and, and wealth, generational wealth. Yes. You mentioned building mixed income housing and helping people improve their homes. Can you dig down on that and why that sure. is so important? 
I mean, as we know, you know, the, like uh, the pinnacle, you know, of the American dream really is home ownership, you know, and that's, you know, because of, you know, many of the, the entitlement programs that started from the 1600s in America to support white families, like get what they needed, whether it was, you know, land out, you know, part of the Homesteaders Act and then going earlier GI Bill and less, better access to capital. That's how white families did it. Right. And that's why the wealth gap is as big as it is, because they're, you know, uh, between white folks and people of color is because we haven't had those advantages and they're just advantages. It's not, you know, just but we can change some of that by recognizing there are things that we can do now in order to get some of that up for our own communities. You know, it is by, you know, holding on to, to family properties and communities like this, not falling prey to predatory speculators. Um, you know, and, and really opening businesses within our own community and using that as, as leverage to build the foundation for the kind of livable, walkable, fabulous communities that, you know, people like to, you know, think of that, you know, when they think of a, a storybook community, like, why are we not building that for ourselves? And those are the kind of things that I'm encouraging people to do. So for someone who is not a real estate developer or involved in these issues on a day-to-day basis, what is their part in the equation? Yeah. So supporting those that are trying to do that. I mean, straight up, you know, like we, you know, as a, as someone who's opened up a cafe, like this is the first cafe we've had in this neighborhood since the 19, uh, since the 1980s, when I was in high school, you know, spend some of your money there and not just at the fast food joints, you know, in the community, you know, um, I know folks all over the country that have opened up bookstores, you know, where they're building their own kind of real estate development projects and, you know, having people support them, patronize them. Um, that's how you do it. You know, you build, you, you have to build from the inside out and not believe this idea that, you know, it's only good if, if somebody else does it outside of our neighborhood. So we've got to have that mind shift. I'm sure you have seen how the South Bronx is starting to get attention from buyers who've been priced out of Crown Heights and Bed-Stuy and mm-hmm. rents and sale prices are going up. Where is the South Bronx headed now as far as gentrification or self-gentrification as you call it in the book? Where is it mm-hmm. headed well, so I don't use the term self-gentrification anymore, but that's a whole other story. So we can talk about that later. However, you know, where it's going is that yes. we still see more people um, selling their homes, you know, to predatory speculators. Mm. And so we watch the, the, um, uh, the home ownership rate, you know, especially in my part of the South Bronx, go down to like less than 7%. And that should be troubling, you know, to the city certainly to um, this borough and what we're trying to help people see and is and, and helping some policy um, you know folks like take this seriously is that we are literally like we know that the pinnacle of the American dream is home ownership and we are literally through our own departments of finance watch these you know these these um uh, these these deals go by from you know longtime homeowners in communities like the South Bronx that just go really straight through to predatory speculators. We are literally watching them lose an asset that in many cases makes that same family a part of the like the part of the, the public, you know, beneficiary system here. And so that, so you know, we would have things like public defenders if you're accused of a crime, but watching what is essentially, you know, a six-figure deal you know, go off the balance sheet of a family in a community like this, we are as, as, as a, as a country, you know, as, as a city, we are literally watching people, you know, basically give up their, their, their part of the, 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 um, the American dream by not, you know, supporting them to understand what the assets that they're giving up. And I think that's, 
that's like close to criminal, if you ask me. But I don't see a whole lot of folks, whether in our government or philanthropy, working to address that. But it's, that's why we raise it. There's so much more in the book by Majora Carter. Reclaiming your community. You don't have to move out of your neighborhood to live in a better one. Thank you for being on Get Connected. Thank you for having me. This has been Get Connected with Nina Del Rio on 106.7 Light FM. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. If you missed any part of our show or want to share it, visit our website for downloads and podcasts at 1067lightfm.com. Thanks for listening. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.